Hello and welcome to The World of Stuff with me, your host Sai. This podcast focuses on all the exciting stuff that goes on around the world and how it works. And each week we'll go through a different topic. Today we're going to be talking about gerrymandering. So let's just jump right into it. Gerrymandering is the practice of drawing boundaries of electoral districts in a way that gives one political party an unfair advantage over its rivals. These boundaries could be political or racial, with the aim of one party having a larger degree of voting power over their opponents. The term gerrymandering is derived from Governor Elbridge Gerry of Massachusetts, whose administration enacted a law in 1812 defining new state senatorial districts. The law diminished the Federalist Party vote in several districts, which gave a disproportionate representation to Democratic Republicans, of whom Gerry Governor was a party member. The term gerrymander appeared in the Boston Gazette, along with a satirical cartoon drawn by Akana Tisdale, depicting a strange animal with claws and wings that were thought to resemble a salamander, wrapped around the district in Essex County, Massachusetts. Gerrymander was printed numerous times in newspapers in Massachusetts and later nationwide. Soon, the phrase not only began to be used to describe the original Massachusetts example of gerrymandering, but also other cases of district boundary manipulation for partisan gains in other states and became the word we use today, gerrymandering. Gerrymandering occurs during the practice of redistricting, which is a process of redrawing electoral district boundaries in the United States. These districts divide states and the people who live there into geographical territories. Most of the time, district lines subdivide local territories so that there are several districts within one city or state and have representatives for each separate district. As the country's population grows, it does not grow equally, and some towns and counties grew much larger than others. Some jurisdictions kept pace with changing populations, shifting the number of representatives assigned to each district or reconfiguring district lines. Others did not. Sometimes districts stayed the same because of political advantage or neglect. From 1901 through to 1961, the Tennessee legislature simply ignored a state constitutional requirement to redraw district lines. In either case, the result was that some districts grew much larger than others. By the 1960s, for example, Los Angeles County, the largest district in California, had 422 times as many people as California's smallest district. And because each district in California State Senate elected one senator, each person in the smallest district enjoyed 422 times the Senate representation of each Los Angeles resident. Some states had failed to draw new districts for as many as 60 years, which had provided slow-growing rural areas with much more representation than fast-growing urban areas. This meant that district boundaries would have to be periodically readjusted to account for new population information. In 1964, the US Supreme Court made two landmark rulings, Wesbury v. Sanders and Reynolds v. Sims, requiring congressional and state legislative districts to be redrawn in a timely manner following the census so that their populations would be roughly equal. Article 1, Section 2 of the United States Constitution requires the federal government to conduct a census of its population every 10 years for the purpose of apportioning US House representative seats among the states. Each district seat represents approximately 711,000 people, and each state is given a number of seats roughly equal to their population, with every state guaranteed at least one seat. Since the number of US House seats is fixed at 435, a new apportionment results in some states gaining congressional seats and some states losing congressional seats. Since all states today have a single member congressional districts, 
changing the number of seats a state has forces a state to redraw their districts. Each state maintains its own standards for creating electoral districts, which must comply with the federal laws and requirements, and achieve its aim of equalising the population. When districts have unequal population, this is known as malapportionment. For example, persons living in a district with a thousand persons would have ten times more representation than a district with ten thousand persons. However, other criteria for drawing district boundaries may include creating compact, contiguous districts, keeping political units and communities within a single district, and avoiding the drawing of boundaries for purposes of partisan advantage or protection for those already in office. Due to having such low populations, seven states have only a single representative in the United States House of Representatives for the entire state. These are Alaska, Delaware, Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Vermont, and Wyoming. These states do not need redistricting for the House and elect members on a single, statewide at large basis. Some states have prohibitions on mid-decade redistricting written into their constitutions, statuettes, or their state courts have ruled the practice is illegal. However, the Supreme Court ruled in League of United American Citizens v. Perry that there is no federal prohibition on mid-decade redistricting. This means a state without a mid-decade prohibition can redistrict before each election if they so desire. Mid-decade redistricting is, however, very controversial, as shown when Texas in 2003 decided to change congressional districts in favour of the Republicans. This resulted with the Republicans taking a majority of the Texas House seats for the first time in many years. Nevertheless, redistricting should be a way of ensuring your vote counts. If all districts have roughly the same number of people in them and are drawn to respect natural communities, then voters should have a greater chance to be represented by politicians who represent the area's collective interests. However, this is not always the case, and gerrymandering is used in an attempt to benefit a particular political party or candidate for office by maximising the effect of each supporter's vote and to minimise the opponent's vote. This can be accomplished through a number of tactics. Cracking involves splitting a community of voters of a political type into multiple districts to deny them a sufficiently large voting block in any particular district. By cracking districts, a political party would be able to maintain or gain legislative control by ensuring that the opposing party's voters are not the majority in specific districts. An example would be to split the voters in an urban area among several districts wherein the majority of voters are suburban, on the presumption that the two groups would vote differently. Cracking was often used to ensure that African Americans could not elect African American politicians. The Voting Rights Act of 1965 banned racially motivated cracking with mostly success. But cracking is still common, with a goal now frequently to fracture communities for partisan game. Packing is used to concentrate as many voters into a single district to reduce their influence in other districts. In some cases, this may be done to obtain representation of community of common interests, such as to create a majority-minority district, rather than to dilute that interest over several districts to a point of ineffectiveness. Packing is more likely to be used for partisan advantage when the party controlling the districting process has a statewide minority by forfeiting a few districts packed with the opposition. Cracking can be used in forming the remaining districts. Hijacking is when boundaries are redrawn into two districts in such a way as to force two officials to run against each other in one district, ensuring that one of them will be eliminated. 
Kidnapping moves an official's home address into another district. Re-election can become more difficult when the incumbent no longer resides in the district or possibly faces re-election from a new district with a new voter base. This is often employed against politicians who represent multiple urban areas in which larger cities will be removed from the district in order to make the district more rural. These tactics are typically combined in some form, which creates a few forfeit seats for packed voters of one type in order to secure more seats and thus greater representation for voters of another type. This results in candidates of one party, the one responsible for the gerrymandering, winning by small majorities in most of the districts and another party winning by large majority in only a few of the districts. Gerrymandering is effective because of the wasted vote effect, which is when votes do not contribute to electing a candidate, either because they were in excess of the bare minimum needed to win, or because the candidate lost. In essence, a vote that does not help to elect a candidate. While the wasted vote effect is strongest when a party wins by narrow margins across multiple districts, gerrymandering narrow margins can be risky when voters are less predictable. To minimise the risk of demographic or political shifts changing to the opposition, politicians can create more packed districts, leading to more comfortable margins in unpacked ones. The physical impact of gerrymandering can be seen on any map of congressional districts. Many boundaries weave east and west, north and south, across cities, towns and county lines if for no reason at all. Gerrymandering has become common in American politics and is often blamed for the stalemate in Congress, the polarisation of the electorate and the disenfranchisement among voters. President Barack Obama, speaking in his final State of the Union address in 2016, called on both the Republican and Democratic parties to end the practice. Quote, If we want better politics, it's not enough just to change a congressman or change a senator or even change a president. We have to change the system to reflect our better selves. I think we've got to end the practice of drawing our congressional districts so that politicians can pick their voters and not the other way around. Let a bipartisan group do it. End quote. Gerrymandering often leads to disproportionate politicians from one party being elected to office. However, this is not an exclusive issue. Both parties have taken full effect of gerrymandering where possible to gain an advantage. The actual effect on electoral competition is hotly debated, with many believing it gives an unfair advantage to whoever is in power at the time of redistricting. However, political science research has suggested the contrary, noting it in fact increases competition over decreasing it. The concept states that rather than packing the voters of their party into uncompetitive districts, party leaders tend to prefer to spread their party's voters into multiple districts so that their party can win a larger number of races. However, there are examples that clearly show gerrymandering has had an adverse effect on electoral competition. These effects can be seen in the results of some of the 2018 congressional elections. In Pennsylvania, it was 53% for the Republicans and 47% for Democrats. Republicans won 72% or 13 of the House seats. Democrats won only 28% of the House seats for a total of 5. In North Carolina, it was 50% for the Republicans, 48% for Democrats. Yet Republicans won 77% of the 10 House seats, while the Democrats won only 23% or 3 House seats. In Connecticut, Democrats won 58% of the statewide congressional vote and the Republicans 35% of the statewide vote. The result? Democrats won all five congressional seats, rendering Republican vote for congressional candidates virtually worthless. Sam Wang, the founder of Princeton University's Election Consortium, wrote in 2012, 
gerrymandering is not hard. The core technique is to jam voters likely to favour your opponents into a few throwaway districts where the other side will win lopsided victories, a strategy known as packing. Arrange other boundaries to win close victories, cracking opposition groups into many districts. End quote. Democrats and Republicans both gerrymander as aggressively as each other when possible. In the 2010 elections, the National Republican Party had poured money and expertise into state legislative races with a specific aim of gaining control over redistricting. The Democratic Party did not to such a degree. This resulted in the Republican Party doing exceptionally well, giving the party far wider control of state legislators, which oversaw redistricting after the 2010 census. This has further resulted in recent years of the Republican Party benefiting most from gerrymandering and increasing their lead in the congressional races against the Democrats. The effect of gerrymandering is seen by many Democrats as the biggest issues they face when fighting for election seats due to having such a large disadvantage compared to the Republicans. Identifying specific instances of gerrymandering can be more difficult than first thought, but there are several methods that attempt to clarify when it has taken place. One of the more traditional approaches has been to point to the distorted maps that, at first glance, make little sense in how they have been redistricted, such as Pennsylvania's 12th Congressional District. These strange shapes are often a consequence of extreme gerrymandering. This approach, however, is not very scientific, and even if the district appears bizarre on a map, it does not mean that gerrymandering has actually taken place. Thus, more objective measures need to be taken to approach the identification of gerrymandering. One method that tries to quantify the degree in which congressional districts have been shaped is compactness, which calculates a district's area in proportion to its perimeter to give a measure of how efficiently the district contains its area. This is created by comparing a district to a perimeter ratio with that of a circle. A measure of one indicates that the district was a perfect circle, which is the most compact of all shapes. The smaller the measure, the more likely the district is extremely extended and misshapen. For instance, Maryland's 3rd Congressional District has one of the worst compactness scores at 0.0333. However, one key criticism with this approach is not all gerrymandering involves the use of strange district shapes. It might be due to geographical features or political boundaries. An alternative measure focuses on the efficiency gap. Instead of looking at individual districts, this method compares the voting power of each political party in a state. Devised by Nicholas Stephanopoulos, professor at the University of Chicago Law School, and Eric McGee, research fellow at the Public Policy Institute of California, the efficiency gap calculates the wasted votes in each party and compares these counts to see if either party had an advantage in the number of votes they got compared with the number of seats they won. The total number of wasted votes for each party is calculated for the state, and the net difference is calculated between the two parties. For instance, if party A wasted 150 votes and party B wasted 100 votes, party A will have a net wasted value of 50. The final step in calculating the efficiency gap is to divide the net wasted voters by the total number of votes to cast for that state in the specific election. The efficiency gap measure shows if one party won a larger number of seats as compared to a neutral district plan. For instance, a 40% efficiency gap for party A would mean that party A won 40% more of the seats than it should have based on a proportionally fair share of its supporters. By focusing on unused votes, the efficiency gap method is able to demonstrate both cracking and packing gerrymandering methods. 
because both techniques try to increase the number of unused votes for the opposing political party while minimizing their own party or candidates' unused votes. With cracking, a voting block is split between districts, so they are not a majority in any district, and thus their votes never count towards electing a representative. With packing, all of a party's supporters are concentrated into a few districts where any votes greater than a simple majority is wasted on electing a representative that already won. Both of these methods are captured in the efficiency gap because it counts unused votes as both votes for the losing political party as well as votes in excess of a majority for the winning party. Further, by focusing on the voting power of each political party, it demonstrates which voters are unable to contribute to the election outcome based on their district characteristics. Throughout history, redistricting was often used with the sole goal to minimise the impact of minority voters by packing them into an area. This action became illegal after the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Extreme cases of both partisan and racial gerrymandering have resulted in going to the Supreme Court to be settled. Here are some examples. In Shaw vs. Reno 1993, North Carolina planned to redraw their district lines to create one majority black district. This was opposed, so the government created two majority black districts. One of these districts was in parts no wider than the interstate road along which it stretched. Residents alleged that its only purpose was to secure the election of additional black representatives. After a three-judge district court ruled they had failed to state a congressional claim, the residents appealed to the Supreme Court. The resulting district shape was bizarre enough to suggest that it constituted an effort to segregate voters by race. Even though it was created with good intentions, it exceeded what was reasonably necessary to avoid racial imbalances. In Bush vs. Vera, following the 1990 census, Texas planned the creation of three additional congressional districts and used sophisticated software and data to redraw their districts based on race. Since race was used to create the Hispanic and African American districts, which gave them a bizarre shape, the Supreme Court decided that it was a case of racial gerrymandering. In 2012, the Alabama legislator redrew Alabama's electoral districts with the goal of creating districts with a population deviation of only 1%, as opposed to the 5% courts traditionally allow when evaluating redistricting efforts. Alabama also tried to maintain the existing percentage of minority voters in each electoral district. However, since race was used as a factor in the redistricting, and due to the fact they looked at the state as a whole rather than district by district, the Supreme Court ruled that it was racial gerrymandering. With racial gerrymandering being illegal, the most frequent cases brought to the Supreme Court are those of a partisan nature. Here are some examples. Davis vs. Bandemir. In 1981, Indiana Democrats challenged the redistricting plan on the grounds of political gerrymandering, stating they believed their voices were being suppressed. This case was noteworthy because it looked at whether gerrymandering could be considered an illegal act. The ruling, however, held that while the redistricting plan may have held a discriminatory effect on the Democrats, that effect was not sufficiently adverse to violate the Equal Protection Clause. The Equal Protection Clause is the 14th Amendment in the United States Constitution, which grants equal civil rights to all persons born or naturalised in the United States. The Supreme Court therefore ruled that gerrymandering was, in fact, legal. In a recent landmark ruling, in 2016, Common Cause argued that North Carolina's congressional district plan constituted an illegal partisan gerrymander. The League of Women Voters of North Carolina filed a similar suit in the same court. The two cases were consolidated 
and in 2018 a federal court ruled in favour of the two plaintiffs. The appeal was then brought to the Supreme Court, highlighting three key questions. 1. Whether plaintiffs have a standing to press their partisan gerrymandering claims. 2. Whether plaintiffs' partisan gerrymandering claims are justifiable. 3. Whether North Carolina's 2016 congressional map is, in fact, an unconstitutional partisan gerrymander. For many years, there has been a debate around whether federal courts should police partisan effects to redraw district boundaries in the same way the law protects racial discrimination regarding district boundaries. The answer in the 2019 Supreme Court ruling is no. They noted that federal judges have no power to stop politicians from drawing electoral districts to preserve or expand their party's power. Therefore, federal judges in states who allow partisan gerrymandering cannot stop the redrawing of congressional boundaries that are clearly skewed in one party's favour over another. The ruling noted that the practice seems unreasonably unjust, but that does not mean it's the court's responsibility to find a solution. Rather, it should be controlled through state legislation. Quote, We conclude that partisan gerrymandering claims present political questions beyond the reach of the federal courts, Chief Justice John G. Roberts Jr. wrote. Federal judges have no license to reallocate political power between the two major political parties, with no plausible grant of authority in the Constitution and no legal standards to limit and direct their decisions. End quote. However, at the federal level, the Supreme Court has held that if a jurisdiction's redistricting plan violates the Equal Protection Clause or Voting Rights Act of 1965, a federal court must order the jurisdiction to propose a new redistricting plan that resolves the gerrymandering. If the jurisdiction fails to propose a new redistricting plan or its proposed redistricting plan continues to violate the law, then the court itself must draw a redistricting plan that cures the violation and uses its equitable powers to impose the plan on the jurisdiction. The most common proposal at eliminating gerrymandering entirely is the proposal to use independent or non-partisan commissions for redistricting. Currently, 21 states have some form of non-partisan or bipartisan redistricting commission with a primary responsibility for creating redistricting plans. In many cases, this is subject for approval by the state governor. Of these 21 states, 13 use redistricting commissions to exclusively draw electoral district boundaries. These include Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Hawaii, Idaho, Missouri, Montana, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Washington. Iowa is unique when compared to all states, as it uses a special redistricting process that neither the state legislature nor independent redistricting commission to draw electoral district boundaries. Nevertheless, many opponents say it's difficult to find non-partisan committee members, and thus the results still conform to some degree of gerrymandering. Another solution involves removing human influences altogether and relying entirely on computer algorithms in an attempt to be as fair as possible when creating districts. By using mathematics, we could potentially move to a system that doesn't consider race or partisanship at all. For instance, one algorithm created by software engineer Brian Olson, whose algorithm uses census blocks to minimise the average distance between constituents and the centre of their districts, basically optimising new districts based on equal number of votes and compactness. The drawback to this method ignores the current district focus on communities of interest and disregards existing jurisdictional boundaries like counties. 
Although this particular algorithm is not without flaws, it demonstrates the opportunity for more sophisticated algorithms to manage redistricting in the future. Nevertheless, deciding what priorities would be used for the creation of districts would involve significant debate and would likely still run into issues of partisan disagreement. Others propose changing the political electoral system entirely in an attempt to remove gerrymandering altogether. The goal of this involves switching away from the current voting system to a proportional representation or ranked choice method of voting. This removes the issue of having to focus on individual gerrymandered districts entirely. The existing first-past-the-post system that uses a single-member district method was fully implemented after the Civil War by legislators that feared southern states would use it to prevent freed slaves from influencing voting elections at the local level. It forced states to be divided into roughly equal population districts and elect one representative for each district. With proportional representation, a party gains as many seats as are proportional to their voting support. For example, if 65% of the voters in a state voted for party A, then 65% of the representatives of that state would go to party A. At the core of this system is that all votes contribute to the result, and there is no such thing as a wasted vote. This method of voting is incredibly fair regarding the final representation of each individual. The critics, however, argue that the representatives are not as closely connected to their constituents and therefore local issues that arise. This system is widely used by many countries around the world, and in part, this system is already implemented in the United States, as the Constitution already requires proportional representation based on population. Nevertheless, this switch would require changing the 1967 law passed by Congress, which prohibited at-large and other multi-member elections by states with more than one House seat. Another system that could be used is the ranked choice method, where voters rank all the potential candidates in order of preference. There are several variations possible with this method. However, one common process is as follows. If no candidate has a clear majority, then a candidate with the least number of votes is eliminated. Voters whose choice was eliminated then move on to their second ranked candidate and the totals are recounted. This recounting continues until there is a clear majority of support candidates. One potential outcome of this system is that voters would be more open to a third party emerging, as well as encouraging candidates to be good-natured towards their rivals as they would be hoping to be a second choice to their rival supporters. Regardless of the solution, it is an important goal to ensure that voters continue to have the power to choose their representatives instead of letting representatives choose their voters. Gerrymandering creates uncompetitive districts that ultimately make the political system much less responsive to the public, and that ultimately demeans the true value of democracy for everyone. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The World of Stuff. If you did, feel free to check out some of my other episodes. I hope you have a wonderful week. Thank you, and take care.